0: When you have the right recon process in place, it's easy to stay ahead of the game. Put your recon on cruise control today with iRecon, the solution built directly in v that obliterates recon inefficiencies and accelerates your used car sales. Visit Viato.com.
1: Welcome to Daily Drive. For Monday, December 28th, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show,
2: EVs, AVs, and tech, oh my... It's been another huge year for technology and innovation in the auto industry.
0: You can maybe invest 10 billion to, to get autonomous vehicles up and running. And maybe that's not enough. Maybe there's another 10 billion ahead right now. And not everybody wants to continue playing that game.
2: We'll take a look back at the year in
1: mobility and tech with our own Pete Bigelow. Pete Bigelow, welcome back to Daily Drive.
0: Thank you, Jamie. It's great to be here.
1: So year in review. Of course, uh, for, you know, tech and innovation coverage, we want to look at EVs and AVs. Let's start with the uh, the powertrain side, the uh, the power part of the industry. Quite an interesting year. Uh, lay it out for us.
0: Uh, certainly, we had kind of the first half of the year was really focused on everything that was coming out of the, the infrastructure uh, act that passed late last year. So a lot of people focused on what that meant in terms of EV charging in particular, in the, in the first half of the year. And of course that's ongoing, but then, uh, you know, the federal government almost outdid itself because the inflation reduction act <laughs> was passed in August. And I think that's all we've been talking about since in terms of electrification and energy is suddenly we have a, uh, an onshoring of an industry where frankly, there hasn't been one domestically before.
1: So let's break that down a little. Let's start with the, uh, the infrastructure piece. Uh, a lot of federal support for that. It's trying to get at the big issue of sort of a an economic divide in the country, right? You know, middle-class, upper-middle-class families with a, a home and a garage can get a charger put in, and EVs can be really economical for them. Even though they cost more up front, they can fit really well in a lifestyle. For someone who has two or three cars in the family fleet, it's easy to have at least one be electric and, you know, make a big imprint. But then you've got all these other people, and I don't just mean the people who can't afford new cars, but people living in New York and San Francisco. Parking in a place like that costs as much as a house payment in a lot of the Midwest, right? Uh, So it's trying to to get some solutions out there that can make EVs work beyond the single-family homeowner.
0: Totally. I think it's a matter of where do you locate these chargers? All of a sudden there's these billions being spent and federal money on chargers. Where should they be located? Should they be located in dense urban areas for the people who don't, don't have a a garage to, to park in? Uh, Should they be located along interstates? And we're seeing that's one that we're definitely seeing so that uh, you really kind of enable the long distance trip because range is always the key question, at least here in America, that uh, that the EV story comes back to is how far can I go? Do we alleviate range anxiety? Can I go on my once a year, ch- you know, road trip? Right. Uh, so so those are the type of questions we're seeing being asked. Uh, a lot of money obviously going into chargers. The other charging story is: are these chargers working? There's a lot of reports about chargers that are are broken or, or don't quite work the way they're supposed to work. And how does that impact this very early innings EV experience?
1: Yeah. When people have range anxiety with an EV, or as I experienced uh, last month, uh, driving a hydrogen car uh, out in California, if you try to, if you get low and then you find a place to you know, recharge or refuel and it's down, like, what are your options for getting to the next place? And what is your assurance that that place is going to be working? It can be stressful.
0: There's a huge divide right now, I think, between the premium experience you see on the Tesla Supercharger network, frankly, and everything else. And I think one of the stories we'll see in 2023 is, uh, are those hiccups for the the everyone else category? Or are these major problems that uh, slow down the adoption of electric vehicles right at a time where we seem to be at an inflection point?
1: Longer term, it seems like there's still uh, still some questions about the infrastructure, about the the grid, as we call it, even though it's basically what six grids around the country. Uh, but you know, electricity generation being done in a in a clean way, uh, distribution and transmit, you know, transmission and distribution being reliable. Um, you know, yeah, that endpoint charger needs to work, but you've got to be able to supply the power to them, you know, through all conditions and all all season and through economic you know, booms and
0: busts. Absolutely, I think that the grid is another story that we're seeing to emerge more. Is is the grid ready for an influx of electric vehicles? Answers probably maybe right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of utility companies that are, are doing the underappreciated work that's ensuring that the grid is ready for an influx of electric vehicles. And the other aspect of that is what role can electric vehicles play in bolstering the grid? Right, like we're start, we're starting to see the rollout, like the F one fifty Lightning, uh, where vehicles have a bi-directional charging capability. So, can customers use electric vehicles to charge their homes in the midst of an outage, uh, or send energy back to the grid that they can get then get paid for? Mm-hmm. And you know, again, very early innings here, but but that is something that you know, as we talk about energy resilience, and that boils down from a a federal perspective, uh, in terms of domestic onshoring of, of raw materials, right down to a personal perspective where, what does it mean to be resilient in my life on an everyday basis?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm I'm pretty skeptical on that front. I know a lot of companies are doing it. And I think it's cool technology, and it's great to be able to do it. But when my power's out in the wintertime, I might not know how long it's gonna be. Maybe I know, maybe I have a good sense. Oh, they'll get me going tomorrow so I can run my house off an F-150 Lightning or Nissan Leaf or whatever I've got. But if I'm sitting there with 200, 400 miles of range, you know, 3 let's say 250 miles of range sitting in my driveway and I could power my house for three days on that, well, what if the power's out for three days? What if it's out for five days? And I'm there and now my truck is a brick and my house is freezing right? I mean, you buy yourself a little time, but is it really a full solution? And it's, I mean, it's such a a buffer. It's like, you know, uh, the add-on battery for your phone. Uh, It's just like, is that really a solution? Or I mean, maybe more like a
0: Band-Aid. Well, there is a question of even if the truck or your vehicle is ready to provide this is your house ready to provide uh, receive it mm-hmm. right like that's that's half of this uh <laughs> scenario is you can't just go buy the new car and expect it to be compatible with your house right uh and it, so one of the more interesting developments this year i think was general motors moving into the energy space a little bit with its gm energy division that they announced uh this fall uh and maybe that helps to start to answer those questions
1: yeah okay um, we'll talk about solar on uh, roofs and uh, all that n- uh, next year, maybe.
0: Solar cars coming uh, this year, right? We see one in production. So maybe by 2040, uh, we'll be talking about the mass proliferation of solar cars in our, our year in review, but maybe not just yet. Today. 2040
1: sounds more like it because even that, uh, I know the the, the one the Sono car in, uh, in Europe... Is, uh, is solar, but it's also plug-in. So it's kind of a hybrid, but it's relying on the grid more than uh, feeding the grid at, at this point. But exciting technology. I don't want to, before we move on from the infrastructure bill part of the EV year, um, I do want to make sure we also touch on, on the hydrogen aspect of it. There's uh, the plan for hydrogen hubs, and we'll see some progress on that next year as well.
0: We will. Uh, as part of the infrastructure bill that passed last fall, the Department of Energy has an $8 billion or so dollar program where they're going to get some hydrogen hubs up and running around the country. And we're currently at a point where this fall, the DOE began receiving applications from various regions that are, are vying to claim a piece of this money to be a hydrogen hub. Uh, and we're going to see a further work on that. I think the next steps come in April when DOE narrows that down to certain regions and they kind of continue this process of building places that can be, uh, you know, locations that are a nexus for kind of achieving a critical mass in the development of hydrogen as a uh, energy solution for transportation and, and beyond.
1: I, I think that's very exciting and, uh, can't wait to see that as it unfolds. So one last, before we uh, move off of EVs, right, then we had the second half of the year, um, uh, let's just call it the Joe Mansion half of the year. As I, we, uh, the got the he he did a, a little uh, trickery within Washington. Ended up uh, getting a bill through the the Senate with 51 votes uh, from the the Democrats and the Vice President that really changed the game for EVs. Uh, took away the tax credits for 70 percent of consumer vehicles. You know by. Requiring the vehicles to be assembled in North America, which had never been a rule before, but it also lifted the cap, uh, so GM and Tesla can get back in the game next year. It's going to add some used vehicle, used EV incentives, which could be very helpful for some more middle income type of consumers. And then, of course, it's just spurred this incredible, as you referred to earlier, the onshoring of uh, batteries and minerals and all that.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely because it's not just the assembly; it's the sourcing of materials from uh, America or or friendly countries, <laughs> and that is really you know we're seeing the investments already in in announcements and new plants uh, all across the country, and they're coming almost at a weekly basis now. It's almost hard to keep track of just how quickly this is happening, and I think I think some of these conversations were already in progress, and they just kind of crystallized with the passage of the IRA, but. Uh, I think there's also new conversations that were not happening before that that are also now taking place. And we'll probably continue to hear these major investments in in, about lithium production and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Well, and the incredible amount of money, not only from the federal government, but from states who are competing for battery plants and component plants, um, it's making America a really attractive place to try to build these components. That's, you know, the, the the investment money is just amazing.
0: It really is. And we're starting to obviously see here at the uh, latter half of the year or just this month, uh, there's some countries that are our allies that are, are hoping that the United States might reconsider certain provisions in the IRA that, uh, you know, we're seeing that investment move from places in Europe to the United States. So I, that's a storyline that's going to continue uh, very much into 2023 and beyond.
1: Yeah, for sure. Especially with Korea, which is one of the South Korea is one of the few countries we literally have a free trade agreement with uh, Hyundai and Kia feel barely, very betrayed by the changing fast changing rules. So uh, be interesting to see if they can find a loophole or some sort of uh, softening of the rules to, for our Korean allies.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, not to touch on product too much, but it certainly couldn't come at a worse time for the Ionic or, or EV6 uh, from Kia, because those are, and you know, I think by by any measure, those are really attractive electric vehicles for a lot of consumers right now. And I think you can see how consumer friendly and uh, the potential of the Ionic and EV6. For mass market appeal so it couldn't come at a worse time for for hyundai and kia
1: you know for this for their class of vehicles they compete with you know vw id4 the mustang mach e and the tesla model y and they're you know pretty you know attractively priced pr- competitive Seventy five hundred dollars is a lot of money it's not a the cost of a car right not a cost of a new car but it's the difference between yeah 45 thousand and dollars and 37 That makes a huge difference on people's payments. It's a huge difference in a a competitive landscape. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it'd be very important, very interesting is how that turns out.
0: Especially when affordability is such a key topic right now. We're seeing the average new car transaction price is uh, high 40s, and for an EV, it's even beyond that. So for companies that can get down to those upper upper 30s, I, I think it's a game changer.
2: Coming up, Jamie and Pete talk about what 2022
1: had in store for autonomous vehicles. That's next on Daily Drive.
2: Warning, your reconditioning process needs attention. Unexpected shortages and delays can throw off even the most routine recon work, slowing your sales and eating into your bottom line. Identify and fix reconditioning inefficiencies to turn your inventory faster with iRecon. This reconditioning solution, built directly in V-Auto, keeps you in control of your service department and puts your recon on cruise control. With real-time alerts and reports, iRecon helps you get ahead of potential issues before they become costly problems. You'll be able to track who's doing the work and how long tasks are taking, see the status of any vehicle in an instant, and make adjustments where needed. And it's all done in an easy-to-use dashboard you can customize to fit your workflow. Obliterate inefficiencies and accelerate your used car sales. Only with iRecon. Run your personal recon diagnostics with us today and put your process on cruise control.
0: Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance, hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth
2: Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with
0: the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. We're listening to my conversation with Pete Bigelow, Director of Innovation and Tech Coverage at Automotive News and host of Shift, a podcast about mobility. We're talking about the biggest stories and trends affecting his beats in 2022. Here's more of our conversation. Okay, let's pivot now to, from EVs to AVs, well, um, the autonomous vehicle world, the world of automated driving
0: has uh, been through quite a year. It has, Jamie. It's really, you know, first I thought about this in terms of it's really gone sideways this year, but I don't know if that's quite the right word because there's parts that are really promising and parts that are really problematic. So it's really uneven. We've seen obviously the big news was that Argo closed down this year. Yep. Uh they they had a deal with Amazon or they thought they did and suddenly Amazon pulled out and then the the two automakers that back Argo, Ford and Volkswagen decided they didn't want to go forward anymore. So that the death of one of the front-running companies certainly is uh you know a major milestone in a lot of ways and I think it speaks to the fact that you can maybe invest 10 billion to, to get autonomous vehicles up and running. And maybe that's not enough. Maybe there's another 10 billion ahead right now. And not everybody wants to continue playing that game
1: or see how many more 10 billions there might be. Right. Because we don't it's, know. it's just so hard. And you know, and if the Argo thing didn't just happen in a vacuum, right? We saw John Krafcik leave Waymo without having completed all of his goals there. We saw, you know, Cruz got started, but they had some serious hiccups, uh, you know, traffic jams, an accident, a whistleblower lawsuit. Um, so it, it as times, has felt like that's just a goner. It's, uh, you know, self-driving vehicles, forget about it. But that's not the whole story, is it?
0: No, it's not the whole story because, yes, you're right. On one hand, Cruz had a, a serious accident in San Francisco days after starting commercial service, but Cruz did start commercial service this year. And more recently, they've expanded the, operating area that uh, they've been working with in San Francisco to include more of the city, which when you're when you're talking about delivering a commercial service that's useful to people, the, obviously the greater area you serve, the the more effective you're going to be in that. And Waymo, likewise, quietly in Phoenix, uh, expanded to downtown Phoenix service from its kind of suburban Chandler area this year. That was a big development. Big step. Yeah. Yes. Going to the airport in Phoenix, big step.
1: Well, and Cruise is planning to add a number more cities next year.
0: They have announced uh, Phoenix and Austin. Uh, I'm a little, I, I kind of want to see what does this mean when they're expanding? Does this mean that they're going to start mapping those cities? How many vehicles are they going to have operating next year? When does commercial service start? They're obviously talking a good game, but let's see what does that really mean in terms of service starting soon.
1: Then the other element, it seems like where there really is a lot of potential or where people are really focusing their efforts is on trucking. And that's not a clean win though either, is it?
0: No. In some respects, it's an easier first step toward mass deployment of autonomous vehicles. Do you have all the vehicles in a pretty confined operating area on a highway, whether that's an interstate or or not? But that 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 is easier to operate. On the other hand, you're driving an eighty thousand pound vehicle at high speeds, there's more potential for things to go wrong. Or if they go wrong, there's more potential for a really catastrophic outcome here. So trucking operationally is more difficult. uh, But there's a clear commercial case that if you can remove drivers, you kind of get past this hours of service barrier, you can operate at all times of day or night, there's a A shortage of human drivers right now in the industry. Yeah, Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that, at least from a business perspective, that autonomy makes sense in trucking.
1: One of the things I really like about the trucking idea as well, and you mentioned all hours of the day and night. If you said automated driving, you know, from midnight to six on highways, like, not saying that accidents don't happen at that time; they sure as heck do. But um, you would be out there when there's less other traffic. If the trucks have good lights and can read the paint on the road well enough, that could be some, I would say, low-hanging fruit, but more uh, reachable fruit.
0: And, and there's a lot of indications that the cameras uh, on, on trucking self-driving systems work better at night as well. Hmm. So it's actually an improvement to if they can operate at night, uh, not just because there's fewer cars on the road, but from a sensing perspective as well, there there might be some operational benefits from, from working at night.
1: Solar glare, I guess, reflections and things would be the problem.
0: Yeah. I think it's more to do with, uh, you know, needing to light up certain areas. Like when you go through a tunnel or under a bridge uh, that, that you get more consistent results when you're at night with your own, own LIDAR working with cameras and infrared cameras as well.
1: So while we're talking about trucking, let's go back to fuel for a quick second. Hydrogen also looks like maybe trucking is the right opportunity for them if you're building hubs and you're going to be along the highways you might only need one every, you know, 200 300 miles if if the trucks can get 500 miles uh, out of a refill.
0: Yeah, I definitely think if if hydrogen is to be successful in the long term it definitely starts with trucking. Um, for for lots of reasons but that included uh, that. It's, it's really expensive to build a hydrogen fueling station so if you think about where do you strategically place those financial resources and and you know add hydrogen fuel cells to fleets where you know Mm. you might be able to retrofit or where does it really make sense it's once again it's a it's a trucking solution so you know i can start peering into the future and again we won't be a good decade away from this but you start to pair hydrogen use with autonomy and you, you know how long you know can you send a long haul truck without without needing to refuel without needing a human driver and you start pairing these two things together and you know 2035 is looking very exciting
1: <laughs> and then we're going to need a uh, filling station attendance again because the driverless truck will show up and somebody's going to need to put the hydrogen in it
0: that's right that's right i think that's uh, you know another jobs creation in the uh right. in the future when <laughs> when we have all these displaced workers
1: so one last thing before i let you go we're starting to run out of time but There is another segment of the technology uh, world that you've covered over the years uh, that's seen some changes, and I'm thinking about LiDAR.
0: Yeah. In some ways, like, you know, again, like, is it a sideways story? It's a very uneven story right now. You have big developments like Luminar deployed in production with uh, SAIC this year in China, and they unveiled their work with Volvo on the EX90 in Sweden. That goes into series production coming in 2023. Even more importantly, we're going to see LiDAR starting to appear on Nissan vehicles in 2025. By 2030, Luminar's LiDAR is going to be deployed throughout Nissan's lineup in a mass market way. So suddenly you're, you're seeing this trickle down of safety technology to, you know, everyday vehicles.
1: Yeah, that kind of scale has to just change the economics uh, for that technology and uh, be very exciting to see.
0: It, it is. And on the other hand, you see... Uh, some consolidation in the LiDAR industry. And obviously, like, for anybody who's been at CES and seen, you know, four or five dozen LiDAR companies <laughs> uh, in the auto space at CES, you realize that they're not all going to make it. This year, probably the biggest news we saw, Velodyne, which is the the granddaddy of the LiDAR industry in a lot of ways, merged with Ouster, uh, and, and probably I think that's Ouster absorbing Velodyne mm-hmm. much more than vice versa. And we'll probably continue to see that in 23, uh, that there's going to be more consolidation, not just in LiDAR, but throughout the autonomous vehicle space as well.
1: Well, and, you know, hat tip to you and your conversation with Chris Urmson this month at the Automotive News Congress in Detroit, you know, this is the way with technology and industry. When the auto industry was new, we had more than a hundred U.S. automakers. It quickly came down to a dozen and then down to four and then three. Um, and then back to four. <laughs> <laughs> or so, uh, and you know, and the same thing you see with with so many other technologies. A lot of lot of companies getting starting up, trying to get in the game. Only the strong survive.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it was two or three years ago that Ouster CEO Angus Pacala told me that there's going to be three to five lidar companies left, and he intended to be one of them. So I think so far, yes and yes.
1: Three to five is standard for most mature industries. So I think he's got his head on the right on the right way. Pete Bigelow is director of tech and innovation coverage for Automotive News. He also hosts Shift, a podcast about mobility. Pete, thanks so much for being here with me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Jamie. Great to talk to you.
1: That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters.
0: And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast.
1: You can get the latest news on innovation and technology and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look back on the year that suppliers had in 2022. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.